Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action. Our podcast is dedicated to parents of children struggling with the effects of trauma and attachment disorders, and the caseworkers, coordinators, and other professionals who support them. Your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, will introduce you to Faith Friedlander, clinical vice president and co-founder of Kids and Families Together, located in Ventura, California. Faith will be discussing her journey as an adoptee and her chapter in the soon-to-be-released book, Attachment Theory in Action, Building Connections Between Children and Parents, which was edited by Karen Doyle Buckwalter and Shadok's President CEO, Debbie Reed. Attachment Theory in Action will be available for purchase on Amazon beginning in mid-December of 2017. All right, so I am here today with Faith Friedlander, who is a contributor to the book Attachment Theory in Action. And Faith um, has a unique contribution to the book in that she's talking about her own story as an adoptee in her book chapter. Um, But first, Faith, I'd like you to just tell us a little bit about your professional background and how you come to all this type of work and I I know it's intertwined with your personal background but let's start with your let's start with just your uh, professional background okay so I would say out of my own self-discovery of going to therapy and learning a lot about my own journey and healing some places within me I decided I wanted to go back to school and become a licensed marriage and family therapist. So I became, although I was working and doing counseling, I was also raising my family. So I went through school rather slowly and I got my fully, fully was licensed in 1991 as a licensed marriage and family therapist. Highly influenced by Virginia Satir and the work that she's done. And then it was in the late 1990s that I decided that I wanted to start looking more into adoption-related issues and making that more of a specialty. And went to some attach conferences, went to some of the North, the uh, NACAC, North American Council on Adoptable Families. And then my husband and I, we started a not-for-profit called Kids and Families Together with a lot more passion and enthusiasm than really having experience. And then through, through that, I found I found Dan Hughes and Dyadic Developmental Psychotherapy and the Theraplay Institute and how they both worked really spoke to my value system about really helping people to understand their inner world. And so it's all, everything has been an evolution for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. So that's my background. Tell me, just elaborate just a little bit on your work related to Virginia Satir. Virginia Satir, what, what, where I was, well, my family has been, 
onto a family camp that was started by Virginia Satir. And we have been going without ever missing a year since 1983. And what really pulled me to Virginia Satir is how much she absolutely sees people beyond their behaviors, that you, she sees your essence. And, and she so helped me for myself, as well as watching her with other people, to see that everybody basically struggles with the same core, a lot of the same core issues, and that when the shame goes away, that you can really begin to change and be able to look at yourself honestly and find ways to, to make different choices. So I, I just loved her ability to see people and to, um, and to be authentic. I mean, that whole idea and playful. I mean, she was the epitome of playful. And she almost always, when somebody said they felt anxious, always held your hand, believes in hugs, all the things that I think goes along with the work that we all believe as far as how you need you need nurturing in your lives. And so anyway, it's been very exciting to see how it all comes together. Yes, I really like that you can share about that because I think, you know, family systems theory is unfortunately not talked about, you know, as much as it used to be and all the big names, you know, Mnuchin wow. and Jay Haley and, and all the people, Murray Bowen's work. And, and so right. I, just, I just love that you have this piece of your work that relates directly to Virginia Satir's work. So that's why I just wanted you to share yes. a, little, a little bit about that. Um, and so, um, you know, we've known each other for a number of years, and um, when uh, this book was coming together, I had uh, thought, you know, I wanted some parent perspective on what it was like to um, parent a child with attachment challenges, attachment difficulties. And then I happened to be out at your place um, doing some TheraPlay training and talking with you, and I thought, I just had this light bulb go off, like, well, if I have the parent's perspective, I should have the adoptee's perspective. And, you know, I know you would even argue I should have the birth parent perspective because you've emphasized so much the whole triad. Um, right. But anyway, so then um, that's, you know, how I, I came to the idea um, with your influence of, of thinking of, of all members of the adoption triad of having you write about your experience. So, so um, tell me a little bit um, like what you want, wanted to get across in the chapter. And I know uh, some of it was sort of already written kind of through your own right. process. So, right. so just, just True. tell me whatever you want to say about your, your contribution to the book. I think that what I would in writing it and going back through it is that absolutely adoption is a lifelong process. That it's not something that happens and then you move on with your life. That 
what looking over my own life is how different things were of importance to me at different developmental stages. Like Mm -hmm. for a while, it may not be that important. And then it becomes hugely important. And that things come up in our lives that suddenly, well, like, for example, for me, when I became pregnant with my first child, that was a huge thing to me. It was like suddenly I really was looking at, yes, I have this incredible adoptive family, but I know nothing biologically of me except me. And here is my my husband who has this whole heritage behind him, And I really did experience the loss and feelings around this. But at that time, not a lot of places to talk to people about it because the myth was that you, you, you were adopted and then, and I was an infant. So therefore there was no life before your adopted family. And so it was like a loyalty issue to even question these things like that I'm being disloyal to my adoptive family who I cared so much about and so then I started reading books in the 70s of all these other adoptees that were having similar issues to me like for example always I wondered if my birth mother thought about me on my birthday always my whole life did I ever talk to anybody about it no but it was there for me and then I read how other kids were had thought about these things. So, again, that idea of I'm not the only one really helps the shame of I'm not supposed to think this or feel this. So that was a real beginning for me because I had many thoughts and feelings and and issues as a child, but I really didn't deal with any of it until I was an adult. And so, okay, and so Faith, just to give a little context, historical context around this, what year were you adopted? I was adopted in 1946. Okay. So we're talking in a very closed system. Mm-hmm. See, and the, the issue, we're looking back on it. This was really the beginning of adoption. I mean, adoption in a bigger way. And, and the truth was they had never had a whole group of adoptees grow up and then say, you know, you had one idea, but that's not what our experience is. You know, that we were basically, they believed absolutely, you close the system, you don't, you know, the birth parents should never have to have anything to do with you ever again. I mean, that was the way it was. You give non, you give some information, but everything was very, very secretive in those days. Mm-hmm. And, so. you know, you said, you had a lot of this rumbling around inside of you growing up. And so, like, what did you do with that? Or I would say a lot of it went underground, um, that I just kept it to myself. Um, sometimes I would ask a question here and there. And the interesting thing is, as we know, body language matters. And I could always 
I always got a sense when I would ask my mom something that it was hard for her. Like that, again, that loyalty thing was, was so strong. And I had a brother. I have a sister who was my parents' child by birth. And then they adopted my brother who, from a whole different family. But he never asked any question. I was the one. And so that even added to my sense of shame mm-hmm. that I wanted to know some of these Like, things. he's okay. He's not asking these questions. Exactly. Why exactly. you have to? Yeah. And and I think things were, were harder for me. I mean, I do think I, I was never a child to act out at school or anything. But, I mean, I would get mad, and I would say sometimes like you're not my real mother or you know I mean I I definitely had those things come out of my mouth at different times in my life when I was angry you know but I looking back on it again I think it was more that that when you're dealing with identity and nobody's there to help you to say yeah this is important to you too you know you do have a genetics as well as a nurturing family and it you know adolescence was harder for me by then I knew that my birth mother had had me was not married you know that was why she relinquished me and then dealing with my own sexuality feeling I mean I just feel I carried a lot of shame among my whole life and and Believing now that shame can start in the womb, I mean, my, I know my birth mother was full of shame. Mm-hmm. I know that she was full. So how that gets passed down and how do you, how do you, you make sense of all that? That's mm-hmm. been my life is knowing that things were affecting me that I, until I really started exploring it, I didn't know how much they were affecting me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, does that make sense? Yeah, yes, yes. And um, one of the things that really stood out with some of what you were sharing um, was that it, even if an, an adoptive parent sort of can give you information... You know, they may think, you know, my child knows they're adopted and knows what I know, but you were picking up other feelings, like you said, the nonverbals and things like that. And I think that that, that's a really tough one, isn't it? Because that could be hard for adoptive parents to not have those feelings, and then yet the child picks it up. So... That's true, but my answer to that is if you're going to be an adoptive parent, then you need to get the support you need to work that out because there is no question in my mind, my parents that raised me were my parents. I mean, they they were my parents, but what I wanted more than anything was to be able to have the truth of my experience, you know, what things were coming up for me, and be able to share that with my adoptive mom and be helped through it. Like what I believe we try to do with the kids that we work with, that that when you feel seen and supported by your parent, 
it just changes everything. Whereas I lived in fear, everything that was coming out of me was then causing a problem or pain to my parent. And you do constantly have that, that sense of if I'm too over the top, I can be rejected. Because when you've already come into the world with that, there it gets very confusing and it may not be accurate, but that experience is in there. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, when I was an adult, one time, I, and unfortunately, my mother died before I was 30, or I think she was getting more comfortable because now I'm an adult and I am really pushing the boundaries. Like, I'm into, and I need this information, I have a child now, I'm... You know, so one day when I was asking my mom and I could feel that that pulling back again and I just looked at my mom and I said, Mom, you weren't adopted. You don't know how it feels. And she heard me. I felt like this was such a moment of something changing because then and it's more like not just giving you the facts. It's that, that they're with you emotionally around this is important. And so that's when I started to begin to feel closer to, to my mom than I ever had before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he died, unfortunately, which was a huge loss and died suddenly. And that's when it was a whole nother layer of triggering me very differently than when I lost my dad, which was another huge painful loss. But with my mother, it was sudden. It felt like abandonment. I mean, it it pushed me to the core of my earliest feelings. That's when I, I feel my therapy really took me to what I went through as a very, very young child with no verbal, but the cellular memory of everything I'd ever been through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, because that's also, that is young to lose a parent. Like, you had a lot of life stages to go through that some people have a parent for. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, and I'm going to tell you, I really believe who I am today and how I've been able to parent my own kids, absolutely without the help of therapy, I just, I can't even imagine where my life would be because getting that coherent narrative has made all the difference in the world because before I had that, I was trying to to act like who I thought I was supposed to be but I, I hadn't done any of this making meaning of my life that needed, I needed that coherent narrative. It's just, so that's why I believe in this work so much too, because out of my own process, I know how important it is as a caregiver, because as we know, kids bring up all of our own unresolved trauma. So I think I believe always helping caregivers, but also what kids need when you you know when you're not really paying attention to what's 
going on for them and um and especially if you're not you know with adoption just if you accept from the beginning that you're part of a triad that it's not less than but it is different to be an adoptive family and i think where people go wrong is or when they to me you know is when they want to make it look just like they're a birth family it's like no no they're gone now we never have to go there again and that's just not that to me is not the healthy way to do it i i think you have to be thinking that there's always you're always connected to a triad in some way even if you never meet the family mhm mhm you know and that kind of goes into what the family systems idea earlier too that you know, in my training, they said, you you can be doing family therapy with an individual because all of those, all of that's in the room. So it's really a mindset, and you're saying, okay, that family system's in the room, and so is this whole other piece in the room. Right. You know, um, so yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And the other thing I think I, I believe, Karen, is how important, which is having family stories, having people tell you what they do know. And I mean even in a birth family, like with my kids, I love telling them about, you know, when they were born or what it was like being pregnant with them. Those things I miss. I feel sad. I don't have that. Yeah. Lots yeah. of things I will never know. And I... I've come to accept it, but does it mean that I wish it were different and I had, that I could fill in the gaps more? And I think when people do have a, can get that information, get as much information as you can. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whatever your story is, it helps to be able to know it and make sense of it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people act like, oh, that's a, I don't, I don't want to know any of that. I just want to, you know, you that just start with when they came to live with us. No, it doesn't. That it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so, um, you know, thinking about um, your journey and the journey of a, a lot of adoptees. What do you have to say about the decision for someone to search for their biological parents? Because that's that's a big risk and gamble right. and right. For, for, I, with with your adoptive family and right, right. absolutely. First of all, I think in a perfect world, you're able to do it with your adoptive parents that they are on board, they're interested, they aren't threatened, because what I know from my experience, it had nothing to do with my love of them or, like I said, my belief that they were my parents. Mm-hmm. So I I didn't start my search until my parents were both gone. And because, again, the loyalty thing, and I knew my parents... They, they had been raised, I mean, I had been raised that you never search. I mean, that's just, but then I changed my thinking about that. And then when they were no longer alive, I didn't feel like I had to deal with, you know, with with what their 
what what the impact would be on them. So I always tell parents, please know that this isn't about wanting to reject your adopted parents. It's a different issue. I also believe it, it you have everybody's different. Not I don't think everybody needs to search. I think it needs to be totally up to the adopted person, not the not the adopted parents pushing. It should be the adopted person. Then they can certainly help and support. For me personally, and I think for a lot of people, I think being in therapy when you're doing it really helps because it's very emotional. And I, for me, I sometimes would do some and then I would pull back because it was too emotional. So I was paying very close attention to what I needed at any given stage because you have to be prepared. For me, I was very clear. I wasn't doing it to find a mother because I have a, I had a mother. But I was doing it because what, what I had asked my, what I wanted was once in my lifetime to sit in the presence of my birth mom and be able to ask her questions. That's, that was what I wanted more than anything. And I knew that I may not get what I want, but I knew that I had to do this journey for me knowing that there were no guarantees in the outcome. So I wasn't, I had no fantasy like, oh, I'm going to go find out my mother's the queen and then I'm going to go live. No, you. I think that it, you have to help somebody do this in an honest, clear way. Um, and of course now things are very different because people do a lot on Facebook. And, right. I mean, that, that generate. So I would still want anybody that's doing it to do it consciously. Do mm. it very, what's my purpose? Mm -hmm. What do I hope to have happen? Who are my, I did, I had a huge support system, Karen, mm -hmm. around me when mm -hmm. I did this. Because mm -hmm. there were times that it was so emotional for me, no question about it. And I was a, I was an adult mm -hmm. when I did it. Mm -hmm. But it was, very, it was full of emotion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I am so glad first that you contributed to the book and were willing to be vulnerable and share your story. And I'm so happy to to have this dialogue with you today. Um, any closing comments you, well, you would like to just how excited I am that this book is happening and how eager I am to read what everybody else has to say and just how important I feel this work is. I just think it's such important work and and it's and it's so exciting to connect with people in such real and authentic ways. That's what I think it's all about. Oh, that's, that's a great way to close. Thank you so Thank much. You, Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore attachment theory. Please follow our site, traumaattachmentcenter.com, for future podcasts, blogs, and training opportunities.